Well, good morning again. I meant to say in the announcement time that uh, Trey and his family are traveling this week. Uh, they're on a family vacation for fall break, and so uh, we're uh, glad for them to be able to do that and praying for safe travels. So just wanted to let you all know that. Today we are talking about how to build an altar. This is the second sermon in our series, How to Start a Fire. And we're going to see three functions of the fire of God, and I want to correlate those to the effects of prayer in our lives. I pray that uh, you are encouraged. I pray that you're challenged today to grow in faith, to grow in prayer. That is always our hope. If you were here last week, you saw God move in a pretty powerful way. I was blown away at the power and the authority that Trey spoke in our congregation. But above that, to see you guys respond at the altar was so encouraging. And I hope you know that your staff, your leadership, uh, really want to, to help stoke the fire that God is bringing in Fellowship Church. And uh, we want to steward this time well, this work that God has started in our lives. We, we want to help encourage you along in that. Trey talked about seeing a a vision of a burning bush and that his desire is for Fellowship Church to be a burning bush for the world to come see. And I hope that the Holy Spirit would stoke a fire in you today that he started last week. If you weren't here last week, that's okay. Uh, I've been praying for you too that God would start something in you today and that the fire would spread from us to you. I love that there are uh, no head starts in the kingdom of God. You know, it's God can work in you today just the same as he worked in some of us last week. But the question for all of us today is this. Are you willing to let him? Are you willing to be open to the moving of the Holy Spirit in your life, not just right now, not just in this service, but in the days and weeks ahead? Are you open to him speaking to you? I love that our only responsibility in our relationship with God is to make ourselves available. That's it. There's no performance. There's no uh, conditions to our salvation. It's truly just making ourselves available to what God wants to do. You see, we build the altar, but it's God who brings the fire. I can't manufacture any move of God today. I can't speak strongly enough to you. I can't want it bad enough for us. It's completely dependent on God to bring the fire. And all we can say is, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Amen. So that's what we're talking about today. We are in a really cool story in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 20 through 39. I love this story. And uh, I have omitted some verses out of this section because I know we have uh, some young ears in the congregation today. And so I just wanted to be sensitive to that. But again, if you want to read the whole scripture uh, yourself uh, with all the verses, it's King, uh, 1 Kings 18, verses 20 through 39. So that's where we begin. We ready? Verse 20, here we go. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, 
get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves, put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. And they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. This is the power of God moving in response to our prayer. Remember, we bring the altar, but God brings the fire. This is a great great example of the different effects that prayer has in bringing the fire, not just then, but in our lives today. We see three things in this scripture that the fire of God does. I want to talk about those. Three things. Number one, fire spreads. Fire spreads. There's an evangelistic undertone to this whole story. The point of this whole scene is for the people who are riding the fence, the people who are unwilling to commit to one faith system, for them to see who the one true God is. This fire is meant to spread. Elijah asks the people, how long will you waver between two opinions? These people were not wanting to commit to the Canaanite false god or to Yahweh, the real God. The imagery the author uses here is a bird hopping on two different branches. It doesn't work. And I wonder, church, if God is asking us that question today. How long will you waver between two opinions? I can think of so many times in my life that I've wavered between two opinions, times that I've wanted a comfortable Christianity, that I've not been willing to commit to God. I've wanted to have my faith 
in my relationship with God, but I have not wanted to make the necessary life changes. I've asked God to bless me without being willing to position myself to receive the blessing. I've asked God to speak to me, but I haven't removed the sin in my life that deafened my ears to his voice. I've wanted intimacy and closeness with God without spending the quality time with him. And those times have been the most empty, anxiety-filled times of my life, and I wonder today if you can relate. Maybe God's asking you this morning, how long will you waver between two opinions? Uncommitted. In James 1, we see this person described as a wave of the sea tossed by the wind. For that person is double-minded and must not expect to receive anything from God. It's strong language, but I think it's what God is trying to get through our, our brain, that, that we must be fully committed to God. Jesus says in Matthew, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? See God. Church, if you're not seeing God in your life, it's time to evaluate the state of your heart. My prayer today is that the fire of God would spread like wildfire and burn up any hint of comfortable, convenient, consumer, part-time Christianity in my life and in yours today. God started a work in us last week, and, and, and I just want, I don't want it to end there. I want it to spread through our families, through our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools. The fire of God spreads. I want to offer some real practical ways that you can help this fire, the gospel, to spread. Just some ideas. We know ultimately the, the best way that we spread the fire of the gospel is through relationship, right? Finding ways to develop friendships with those who don't believe the same as we do. It's less about what we say and more about how we live our lives. But it's not always possible, right? We, we have opportunities every day that we see people and have an opportunity to touch them with the fire of God. And so just a couple of ways, a couple ideas is, um, you know, when you're eating at a restaurant, Ask the waiter or waitress if there's anything you can pray for them about. When checking out in the grocery store, ask God to give you a word of knowledge about that person, the cashier, and maybe could start a conversation, start a prayer. I remember one time I was uh, waiting in the checkout line at the Dollar General down the road from our house, and uh, I, I felt the, the prompt, I felt that Holy Spirit nudge, and the lady was working the register. She was about my age, and I just had the thought, man, her back is hurting. Not a wild assumption to make, right? I'm sure she'd been standing and working a while. But I just felt like I, I'd heard that. And, and that's when the argument with God starts, right? If you've ever been in that spot, you know. I was like, God, I don't want to say that. I just want to get my frozen pizzas and be on my way. What if it's awkward? What if she thinks I'm creepy or weird? What if I'm wrong? But as I worked through that, I came to the checkout and, and I said, hey, this may sound weird, but uh, are you having some back pain right now? And she said, oh my gosh, yes. Like I've been working 12 hours and, and my back is killing me. And I just said, well, can I pray for you real quick? And she said, sure. And so all I did was just put my hand on her shoulder. I prayed with her for her to be healed and I took my bags and I was out of there. And it's just a real simple way 
to spread this fire of God. It's a real simple way. And I don't know if God healed her, her, her back in that moment, but I know that she, was, she felt seen and that she felt loved. And uh, that's, what, that's what we're here for. I know that a seed was planted that day. So if you don't wanna do either of those things, it's fine, but I wanna challenge you today to find a way that works for you. Find a way to spread this fire of God. God is doing something here and he's starting in our hearts, but it can't end there. It has to be spread. We wanna share this fire inside of us. So the first thing that God's fire does is that it spreads. Number two, fire purifies. Fire purifies. Verse 37, answer me, Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. That's the purification that God provides. This fire from God falling on the altar, it's meant to transform hearts and turn them back to God. We see reflected all through scripture that there is something that shifts when we have an encounter with the presence of God that we are not the same when we have an experience with the Holy Spirit. And that's what Elijah is praying for, and that's what I'm praying for us today, that the reality of God in this room would be so evident, so undeniable, that we would not be able to leave this room the same way that we entered. Fire purifies, it transforms us. There have been times in my life that I've seen great transformation, great change, and it's always been in response to powerful encounters with God. I love that our whole relationship with God is this beautiful reciprocal relationship. It's, it's the cycle of God wooing us and, and calling out to us. And, and in response, we call back to him. And, and when, we, when we respond to God, it's as if our eyes are open and we see him doing more. And then in response, in faith, he responds again and starts acting more. And then we're motivated to, to respond and surrender even more. And it's just this back and forth progress, moving from faith to faith, from glory to glory. Sometimes we break that cycle though, don't we? We stop seeing God, we get distracted by all the chaos of life and the busyness of life. We get discouraged by unanswered prayers. We let things get in the way of our prayer time and, and our relationship with God. And maybe today you need to pray Elijah's prayer that God would turn your heart back to him again. Maybe there was a time in your life that you can think back on and say, wow, I was just so on fire for God in that time. I didn't care what people thought. I was just living my faith out in every day in every way that I could. But I've let my heart grow cold toward him we see scripture talking about God replacing our heart of stone for a heart of flesh. John Wesley talks about it too, that his heart was strangely warmed. Remember, we build the altar, but it's God who brings the fire. And I think God's calling to you today. If your heart has grown cold toward him, it's not too late. He meets you right where you are and he calls you into deeper waters the fire that purifies us, that transforms us. Number three, fire consumes. Fire consumes. 
Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Another way to translate that is that Yahweh, he is God. Not Baal, Yahweh. Against all odds, preventing any kind of human manipulation when Elijah poured the water on the altar. Through no power of man, God's fire fell in a miraculous way, consuming not just the sacrifice, but everything, the altar, the rocks, everything around it. That's the power of God. Not just that it happened then, but what? That it happens all the time. It can happen today. Do you believe that the power of God is still active and alive today, that he still performs miracles, that the fire of God can spread in your life, that it can purify the dark parts of your heart and that it can consume every part of you. Do you believe it? Six years ago, our youngest son, William, was born healthy, so we thought he had an undetected birth defect that caused his bladder to not empty completely. And two weeks after he was born, Megan, my wife, uh, knew that something was wrong. And so we took him to see his pediatrician and the doctor immediately called for an ambulance and uh, told us, William is very sick. So I ride in the ambulance to Centennial Hospital in Nashville and the doctors started working immediately with a lumbar puncture and with IV fluids and antibiotics. Three days we were at Centennial with William as he declined. His body had become so swollen that he was unrecognizable. He was in so much pain that we couldn't even touch him. There was an infection that had started in his bladder and had spread through his body and he was on the highest dose of morphine possible at that age and that size. At one point he was foaming at the mouth and yet the doctors still had no real idea what was going on. Well, they transferred us to Vanderbilt Children's Hospital, NICU, that night. And I remember a doctor, after we had given them a report of everything that had happened the past few days, telling us, William is our scariest baby in the NICU because everything that should be working is not. Around 1 a.m., the team advised us to go find a place to sleep while they work. And uh, after an un unsuccessful drive around Nashville looking for a hotel, we just came back to the hospital and found an empty waiting room to sleep in. Two hours later though, we got a call from the team of doctors informing us that the MRI had revealed bleeding in his brain, that the infection had spread, he had become septic, and it had spread to his brain as well and caused hemorrhaging. Megan and I instantly began weeping as we walked down the winding hallway, I noticed my vision was tunneled and my feet were heavy. Somehow every step took every ounce of energy I had, yet I was also on autopilot, no longer in control of any motor functions. And we wept at his bedside as he slept. He looked the same as he had two hours before, but now everything was different. We learned that his organs were beginning to shut down due to the sepsis. This is the first moment I remember asking God why. 
I pictured myself thrashing this NICU room and walking away from God altogether. I asked God, how could you let this happen to my boy? As I prayed, I teetered between these two paths that lay ahead. It was so clear to me, one path was full and complete rejection of God, and the other was choosing faith and love despite everything I was seeing, everything I was feeling. Later that morning, I chose the path of faith, no matter what happened. My wife and I prayed together over William in his NICU crib, and we offered him back to God. I led, I led a prayer that promised we would love and serve God no matter what happened, and that we trusted that God knew what was best for our boy. We wanted to surrender all control, because in reality, we don't have control at all, do we? We asked God to consume this whole situation. Around 10 a.m. that morning, we met with the neurology team and they confirmed that his brain had bled, but that it had stopped due to a change in antibiotics. I finally worked up the courage to ask, is he going to live? And with a confused look on the doctor's face, she said, yes, we do not believe this to be a life and death situation anymore. There were instantaneous cheers and applause in the NICU room and the waiting room as we celebrated good news. And there have been complications from the damage that day. He's been diagnosed with cerebral palsy, with Lennox-Gastaut syndrome, which is epilepsy, a few other complications there. And while we grieve the life that William has not yet been able to live, we always celebrate what God did because the truth is God healed him. Here's a picture from him this week at school. <laughs> I, I say all this to say this. While we were going through this with William, fellowship showed up in huge ways. A 24-hour prayer vigil and fasting was organized. Time was taken out of the Good Friday service and Easter Sunday to pray for William's healing. Dozens of members showed up at the hospital just to be with us. Hundreds of texts and calls. Members of fellowship even babysat our other crazy kids so that we could be with William. And a food train was set up. So many ways that fellowship showed up for us. To this day, I'm overwhelmed by the love and support that we were shown during this. Family, God works in prayer. He works in prayer of his people. And it's not just about prayer, it's about prayer in community. That is the legacy of Fellowship Church. That's our reputation. That's the family that you're a part of. And I don't know why God chooses to heal some and doesn't heal others, but I know that it's his desire to heal all and that he has promised to be with us every step of the way. It's our belief that God answered our prayers that day, that he saw our surrender and he heard the prayer of his people and that he healed William because everything, like the doctor said, everything that wasn't working started working that day. The fire of God consumes us and it heals us. And I believe in a God who still performs miracles today. Our only role is to build the altar. It's God who brings the fire. So in closing, I wanna ask you something. If we've established that we build the altar and God brings the fire, 
And we've established that he brings the fire to spread to others, to purify and to transform us, and to consume and heal us. My question is this. Is there something holding you back from receiving the fire of God? Are there ways that you have poured water on the altar of your heart? Ways that you've been too afraid to allow God to fully consume you, that you don't want things to change, you're comfortable. I get it, I feel the same way. But the truth is we've gotta build that altar for God to be able to move and bring the fire. I wonder if you've been like the words of Elijah, you've been like that bird trying to walk on two different branches at the same time, not really fully committing. Or maybe you need to have your heart strangely warm today that you can think of a time back then where, man, you were on fire and you were seeing God move and life was good and you were feeling the fullness and satisfaction that comes with that communion with God. I wonder if you'd be honest with God today and honest with yourself and, and say, God, I need a move of your Holy Spirit in my life. Something's gotta change. This emptiness that I'm feeling is not of you. God can meet you right where you are, whatever that looks like, and he can bring the fire. And that fire can spread to your family, to your community. The fire can purify every fiber of your being and it can consume you. Are you willing to allow it? Don't do it for me. Don't do it for, for anything. Just do it because that's what God wants and it's a life well lived. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much that your fire is available to us right now. We can't manufacture any special move of God that we depend on you. There was a faith that we see in Elijah who was pouring water on the altar. He's not capable of bringing fire down from heaven, but he had faith in you that you were gonna move and you were gonna do what you do. God, help us to have that same faith this morning, to take uncomfortable steps, to be willing to, to shake up our lives a little bit so that we can see you move and do what only you can do. God, it can happen in an instant. And God, that's our prayer this morning. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're gonna take up our, or we're gonna partake in communion here in a minute. I want you to know that Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, all who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another and with God. Therefore, I wanna take a moment and confess our sin before God. Would you take a moment silently in your seat and pray? Would you pray this prayer with me? The words will be on the screen. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. 
We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. And we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Would the communion servers come forward now? Church, hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks to God, and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup and gave thanks to God. He gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. I want you to know that this is not a fellowship exclusive table. This is exclusive to no denomination. This is an open table. No matter where you are on your journey with the Lord, you are welcome to come and partake in communion. God, I pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Amen. The band's gonna play another song. Uh, there are no, not gonna be any ushers to, to call you forward by row. You just come when you feel led at your own pace. I heard communion described as coming into union. And I like that. I like that. So if you need to come back into union with God, this is your opportunity. So would you stand and come forward?